Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. I'd like to key in first on the word unworthily. We are all unworthy, which is why we needed salvation. We are all unworthy. And Christ was put to open shame as the worthy lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Everybody remember hearing that? Why? Because of our unworth. He went to the cross because he was the worthy and one and only sacrifice. And he imputed his worth to us. So now we're worth something. If we're in Christ and first Corinthians chapter 11, they lost sight of this. Now I'd like you to turn to Matthew 15 because I'd like to draw out a principle here in verse number 26, Matthew chapter 15. Look what the Bible says in verse 26. Uh, actually, I think we should back up uh, verse 22. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts. And cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it, to dogs and she said truth lord yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table you know the problem that the corinthian church had is they had the rich crowd the poor crowd they had all their different crowds where they were separating because they all thought they were something they should have had the attitude of this woman in Matthew chapter 15 and said, we'll just come around the Lord's table. And if there's any crumbs that fall, I'll take the crumbs, Lord. And that's what happened in Matthew chapter 15. The children back, back in Matthew 8, the Lord refers to the children of the kingdom. But in Matthew chapter 15, the children are, are God's chosen people. That is a picture of Israel. Uh, when, when it says, um, when it talks about the bread in Matthew chapter 15, Look at it so we can get our eyes on it. You see it? Verse 26, it is not me to take the children's bread. Well, that's God's favor. God showed favor to that nation. And when you see where it says, um, look at the end of verse 26. After it says, meet to take the children's bread and to cast it. To the dogs. Casting isn't, get, you're not giving, you're not serving food. Casting is just, you know, you're just casting it off. Kind of like what you would do with your scraps. If, if you have a dog or if you have chickens or you live on the farm, if you have pigs, you typically save your scraps into a separate area. And then when you're done your meal, you cast it out. You cast that food. That food isn't served. It's cast off to the animals. And that's the picture here. It's a humiliating term. That food is thrown as if it has no worth because nobody in the family is going to eat it. It's kind of like when you drive by, you know, the, the, the McDonald's sign. It's, it's really McDog food, I, I call it. It's not really food it's a couple ingredients away from being plastic <laughs> but my point is there's food that has some value and then there's food that really isn't worth anything but to cast off 
but to cast off. It's only fit for animals to eat. The Jews would call Gentiles dogs. Jews didn't keep dogs. Matter of fact, they didn't keep dogs as pets like you see now, like we see today. Dogs typically are house pets. But Jews didn't keep dogs and certainly didn't have one in the house. But the Lord uses the Jews' term to drive home a point to this woman. The Jews wouldn't fellowship with her. She was a Gentile dog. Look at Matthew chapter 15 and verse 22 where we started reading. Watch what she, a woman of Canaan came out of the coast and cried unto him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. She had no claim to call him son of David. <laughs> she wasn't in David's lineage. She wasn't a Jew. She had no claim to that term. And look, verse 25 and verse 27, watch the humble place that she takes when the Lord gives her place. Look at verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord... Help me. And he answered and said, It is not me to take children's bread and to cast off the dog. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. The name she laid claim on him was Lord. He was her master. And because of that, she's fine with the crumbs because at least, at least I have a Lord. And what the Corinthian church messed up was they weren't thinking, at least we all have the Lord. It was... I've got some worth and I've got some riches and I've got some rich food and you don't. So you go over there and they brought their worth to the table instead of worthy as the land. But what is pictured here? It's interesting because the Lord calls the Jewish leaders hypocritical. He calls them hypocrites. They worship in vain. He says they're teaching uh, for doctrines the commandments of men. He says they're blind leaders of the blind. He says their heart is defiled. And this, this woman of Canaan, her daughter is vexed with a devil. And you hear the Lord in verse number 22. Uh, he said, uh, She says, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Verse 24, the Lord says, I am not sent, but I'm the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Christ is rejected by Israel. You see the picture here? The Jews didn't want anything to do with this woman. The Jews reject Christ and they're going to put him on the cross. What's Christ doing right in front after he rebukes these Jews? What is he doing? He's receiving that Gentile woman. It's a picture of salvation. That call of salvation is going to go to the Gentile. We also see the desperate heart condition of the Jews. Now contrast that with this woman's heart. Big difference. And her daughter, that, Can that woman of Canaan, her daughter being healed, it foreshadows the salvation of to them that believe. Believe. You know what the Jews would say? She's not worthy. She's not worthy. Her daughter's not worthy to be healed. But he healed her. And Jesus brought his word to her. So this idea of coming to the Lord's Supper, it's not trying to bow our head and and or do some type of activity to try to, to try to muster up some worth and try to find some worth. It's about 
remembering the worthy one. We're unworthy people. We should come looking and ready to commune with the worthy one. When you focus on value, when you focus on worth, price doesn't become an issue because it's priceless. And the worth of Christ is priceless. People talk about value. The difference, the difference uh, between the price that you charge and the perceived benefit or the perceived value of something is what people will pay big money for. You do it, I do it. When we perceive that something is more valuable, we spend more money on it. The only reason we do that is because we justify its worth. If more Christians would get a hold of that and really understand the worth of Christ, we would have churches that would live a whole lot holier. We would have churches that would have a whole lot more emphasis and desire to get the gospel out to this lost and dying world. You would have a local church that would have a lot more patience with those in which they fellowship with. That wasn't so in the Corinthian church. They could tolerate their little niche, but they couldn't tolerate anybody else. And it broke up the fellowship. Christ, did he solve your sin problem? And we glaze over that. Psalm 68, blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. We know that verse, and he daily loadeth us with benefits. We can sing about it. We can talk about it. We can testify to it. But the Corinthian church didn't get a hold of that in the local assembly. And they certainly didn't get a hold of it in the Lord's Supper. So here's the point. The more you focus on the worth of Christ, the less important you become. The less important I become. The less, the less selfish you become. The less selfish I become. When you truly see yourself as unworthy, and I truly see myself as unworthy, and that we've been given an invaluable blessing from a worthy Savior, then we can get somewhere. Now keep in mind, this is taking place in the city of Corinth. We all know cities to be externally beautiful. All of the lights, it's beautiful to look at. All of the skyscraper buildings, all those tall buildings, from a distance, it's a beautiful sight. But internally, cities are usually Wretched places. A lot of sin happens. And not that sin can't happen everywhere. But the point is, the city externally looks nice. But internally, the lights are out. It's darkness. So we meet at the church house or, or, or one day when we end up having to meet in secret at a Christian's house or in a basement. <laughs> That should be flipped. That picture is flipped. There's light on the inside. And there's darkness on the outside. That city picture, it's flipped. So when we come in for the Lord's Supper, there should be light in the room. Spiritually speaking, there should be light. Why? Because we all just had a long week out in the dark. This dark world that we have to live in. We come in and we get some help. Light on the inside, darkness on the outside. Truth on the inside. Error and false doctrine on the outside. That's why the church is called the pillar and ground of truth. This is why we evangelize publicly. We want to bring the light that we have in here out into the dark. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Let's look at the next verse, 28. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, Bible says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Examine himself. 
That means you're not to examine me. I'm not to examine you. We are not to examine visitors. Visitors are not to examine the regular attenders. We are to self-judge, not eyeball everybody else. Most of the problems that we have is because of us. That's a good mantra to have. Everybody, you just take your finger and you point to yourself and you say, my problem is me. My problem is me. My problem isn't you. But so often it's, hey, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's the church's fault. It's the preacher's fault. It's so-and-so's fault. It's Miss so-and-so's fault. Just blame yourself. Now, you can't do that on every situation. But by and large, I would submit to you to really ask yourself. Is it me, Lord? <laughs> we need to learn to examine ourselves. We have a church uh, family fellowship lunch. It's going to be coming up at the end of next month. And it would be great if everybody attended. But it wouldn't be great if everybody attended and the people that came on Thursday night, the Thursday night crowd only sat with the Thursday night people. Well, because, you know, we're midweekers and you are. And the folks that came on uh, Sunday, uh, the, the, the folks that never missed the Lord's Supper, you know, you had that faction over here and they sat together. Why? Oh, you all don't even make the Lord's Supper. And the folks that do the public evangelism, you know, they're all sitting in their section with their Jesus saves hat saying, yeah, we don't fellowship with them because they don't even go out and witness. All of a sudden, something that could have been great turned into an awful mess because you kept examining everybody else. Instead, just be thankful you're in a local church where some are healthy and able to go out and witness. And... Some do come to Thursday midweek instead of nitpicking on ways to get ourselves just a little bit higher on the ring of spirituality. We need to examine ourselves, not the other people. That's not to say problems shouldn't be dealt with, and there's not to say that issues come up. You can't gloss over everything. I hope you get the point of what I'm saying. Faithfulness to church is great, but not if we act like what they're acting like in Corinthian, in Corinth. Corinthian believers were selfish. It'd be an awful thing to just come because there's a free meal. It'd be a glorious thing to come because you get to commune with the body of Christ. And there just happens to be a free meal. You see. It's it's the heart motive. If someone's coming. And it's just. Yeah I go there because they got free food. It's a heart motive. They're there. You take away the food. They ain't coming. Someone comes. I just love being around God's people. I need the help. I need the fellowship. And you know what? They're just We just happen to be having some food. Now that's a different heart motive. It's not for or against it's not, this isn't for or against potlucks. This is for communing with the body of Christ and against selfishness. Can't hear that enough. Amen. All the young ones in the front row can say amen. A little bit louder like you actually heard selfishness is not a good thing. Amen. All right. Just love the body of Christ. Now, watch what else it says, 1 Corinthians 11. In verse number 28, it is. 
right in the middle of the verse. But let a man examine himself, and here it is, and so let him. Let him. You know what that means? It means you need to be an active participant. What they do in the Roman Catholic Church is you stand in line, and the priest does it for you. He gives you the communion. He says the magic words. He gives you the wafer to eat. The priest does it all for you. What the Lord wants from you is active participation. I can't give that to you. A priest can't give that to you. And also it says, eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So that would mean you're not eating Jesus. Okay. You're not eating Jesus. Look at verse 40, uh, 29. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, a couple of points on not discerning the Lord's body. Number one, it's about selfishness is their root problem. How many times have you heard people say, well, the church isn't a building. It's the body of Christ. I've said it. You've said it. You've seen it on memes. I've seen it on memes and cards. And we all know that. You would have thought that they, the, the Corinthian church would have applied that philosophy then. What do I mean by that? Well, if the church isn't a building then how come we get that? But why won't you go to a building where other believers are so you can fellowship with them? I'll tell you why, because you don't respect the brethren and sisters. You think you're higher. This is the reason why people won't go to church anymore. Some are so high up that they can't fellowship with the unworthy ones because it'll be a judge fest the whole time and they'll leave and say, well, those people do this and those people do that. And I'm telling you, if you think like that is your worldview, you won't ever be able to get along. And I won't ever be able to get along with anybody. I like things done right. I like things done with excellence. Men, I'm sure you do as well. Ladies, I'm sure you want things done in excellence. You want your kitchen a certain way. You want the living room a certain way. You want things done the way they should be done. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing doing things in excellence. The wrong part about it is our, of our heart gets all icky <laughs> about people that don't measure up. And the whole thing in Corinth, in Corinth was it was just a selfishness deal. And they didn't respect each other. They didn't love their church family. And when they were acting like that, they were not discerning the Lord's body. You know why? Because if you love the body of Christ, you wouldn't act like that. If I love the body of Christ and I discern the body, which, okay, it's not the building. No, it's not. It's the body. It's what they say down south, usins. You're not discerning the Lord's body that way if you have that attitude. It's a selfish attitude that reveals you don't love the body. You love you. And if you love the body of Christ like you love you, then things would start to change. And the Corinthian church needed to be helped out in that area. Also, when you see this in verse number 29, the Bible says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You've got a prophetic passage right here. It's prophetic because the Roman Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, all the churches that believe Christ is transubstantiated. And that wafer becomes the literal body and the literal blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is not discerning the Lord's body. And they are drinking 
and eating damnation to themselves. It's a prophetic verse. What do you think? They're sitting around taking a bite out of Jesus' shoulder? It's blasphemous to think about. They're not doing that. Now, the verse that they're going to use for that, get John chapter 6, because I want you to understand why John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6, we'll be looking at some passages. And you ask yourself, is this literal or figurative? John chapter 6, verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Literal or figurative? Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. Literal or symbolic? Verse 55, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth me and I in him. Literal or figurative? This doctrine of transubstantiation is foundational, pay attention, foundational to Roman Catholic doctrine. In other words, a miracle occurs on the altar of sacrifice. That's why it's called a mass, a sacrifice. All over the world, a sacrifice occurs where Christ is offered up again. And the priest will say a prayer and he will change some by some miracle that wafer into the literal body and that and that wine or grape juice into the literal blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're telling me. Well, they are telling us. If you're sitting in a Roman Catholic church or a Lutheran church or a Methodist church or anybody that believes this. They are telling you. That priest is telling you he has the power to call down the Lord Jesus Christ out of heaven and put him in a cookie. That's what he's telling you. And it's a blasphemous idea. But they get it. You know where they get it from? Uh, John chapter number six. And so millions of Catholics believe that they're eating Jesus. It's a lifeless wafer. But they don't believe that. They believe they are eating the literal body of Jesus and drinking his literal blood. And they must believe that in order to stay in right standing with the Roman Catholic Church. They must believe that so that they die in good standing. They have to believe that. And if that's true, you know what that means for you? You know what that means for me? We must be Roman Catholics in order to get to heaven. If that's true. If that's true, you have got to go through the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, the Roman Catholic Church, or any church that teaches that that priest has the power to call down Jesus from heaven, put him into a wafer, and you eat it and receive graces. But it's not true. Jesus is speaking figuratively. And what you have is the most deceptive hoax pulled off. And it wasn't pulled off by Hollywood that everybody's so afraid of. It was pulled out. It was pulled off by a religious organization. It wasn't pulled off by words sung in a rock song. That everybody's so afraid of. Oh, another rock band, another rap band, another. What you got to be afraid of is the religious crowd. 
You get saved. Your problem isn't the world. You can pretty much see all that's junk. <laughs> you get saved. Your problem is going to be religious people trying to confuse you. And you've got the biggest hoax pulled off that millions of people have bought into. And they think that they're receiving grace by eating Jesus. This has to be figurative language, because if it's not, you just added something to salvation that you have to do. And if you do that, if you add something, then by default, you have to, by default, you oppose many, many scriptures that say salvation is by grace. Justification is by grace. You have no merit. There's no act you can do that will add anything to it. You got to get that. You got to get that. Now, I want to look at John chapter 6 a little more closely because I told you I want you to know why. And so let's look at some of the whys. Explain this to me. Look at verse 40. Look at verse number 40. John 6, verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me. Watch this now. That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. How do you have everlasting life? You believe on him. Is that clear in the scripture? Look at verse number 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. Does it say whoever eats my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life? It does. So either A, you've got a contradiction because you can't have both. How can you believe and have eternal life? And then how can you eat and drink and have eternal life? You've got a contradiction in your Bible if both of those should be taken literally. You don't have a contradiction in your Bible if you understand that one is literal and one is figurative. And that's what it is. Matter of fact, eating and drinking in the Bible and other places is symbolic of something. Go back to your Old Testament. We'll get Jeremiah. Get Jeremiah. And after you get Jeremiah... Keep flipping, you'll come past Lamentations, and you'll come to the book of Ezekiel. And get Ezekiel chapter number 2. Jeremiah chapter number 15, we'll do first, and then we'll flip over to Ezekiel. But get your finger in both places. Jeremiah chapter 15, look at verse number 16. Jeremiah 15, 16. Watch this. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. You think that's literal? We start gnawing on a piece of paper, you know, and having some words for dinner. What's for dinner, mom? Words. Anybody with a sixth grade education can understand that in Ezekiel, uh, Jeremiah chapter 15, it's figurative. You get the word of the Lord, it's going to bring you some joy. Chew on that, eat on that, get that ingested in you. Go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter number two, look at verse number eight. Ezekiel two, verse eight. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. You think the Lord wants you to open up your mouth and he's going to throw alphabet soup in there and put words together as he... No. Oh. Receive the words. It's figurative. It's symbolic of get it down deep in you. 
Go to Ezekiel chapter 3. I'll show you another one. When you see eating and drinking in the Bible, you got to run the cross references, and it will very easily and very quickly clear up that in John chapter 6, it's figurative. Ezekiel chapter number 3, verse number 1. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of Israel. And so I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat this roll. Now, this isn't like a spring roll or some type of, you know, when you go to the um, Chinese buffet. This is a roll, paper, the words of the Lord on it. It's figurative, folks. And he said, verse three unto me, son of man, cause thy belly to eat. And fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it. And it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Have you ever said to somebody, you know, we really got to feed on the word of God. You think everybody gets together and puts mustard, relish and ketchup on the Bible and starts eating it? No. Everybody knows what feed on the word of God means. It means you don't just do this. You don't just glance over it with your eye. You're actually feeding on it. You're studying it. You're reading it intently. It's food. But what type of food? Spiritual food. It's spiritual food for your soul. And when it's well digested, it's sweet. And it's like honey. That's the idea. That's the idea. Eating and drinking in the Bible is also symbolic. And that's what we see in John chapter number six. Also, Jesus said in John that he would speak in Proverbs. Matter of fact, in John six, he says, I am the bread of life. In John eight, I am the light of the world. In John 10, I am the door. What do you think? Every time you walk into a new business and you come to the door, there's Jesus. No. He's not a physical door. He says, I am the door. It's symbolic. You don't go in the doors and windows store downtown and start pitching a fit. You guys got Jesus all over the place. No. It's figurative. It's figurative. I know some of you laughing, but John 6, that's where they hang their hat on. They really think that's the literal body and literal blood of Jesus. It's blasphemous, but it's laughable. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what? Every time you see a street sign, it says one way. You know, you've seen those gospel tracks and they say, you know, one way. And it's you come to a, you come to a, a, a street sign one way. There's Jesus. He's on the sign. No, he said I'm the way, meaning he, he's the way you got to go. It's not a literal street sign. We got to get this. And when you see that pattern run all through John, it shouldn't be any surprise that when he says in John 6, 40, believeth on me, have eternal life. Okay, literal. It shouldn't be any surprise when he talks about blood and bread. That it's figurative, just like it is in the door and the way. He says in John 15, I am the true vine. John 2, he referred to his body as a temple. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. You don't go, you don't go find the Jewish temples and say there's Jesus. You see what he's saying? It's figurative language. The whole reason the multitude was seeking Jesus in John 6 was for what? Physical food. And he has to flip it on. Look at John 6. Watch what Jesus offers them in, in John 6.32. Verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. There he is. And in verse 53, look at what you have abiding in you. Then Jesus said unto them, John 6, 53, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of, this, of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. If you don't have Christ abiding in you, you don't have life. If you've not partaken and eaten the words of Jesus and received the one bread, you don't have life. You don't have eternal life. And what they wanted to eat in John 6 was physical food. And he's trying to say, you need something else. And it's me. In Jeremiah 3, the Bible says, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. How are you fed knowledge and understanding? Well, we're getting fed it now by the word of God. Hopefully, and that's the prayer that we all have, whoever's teaching the word of God is feeding the people, feeding God's flock to which the pastors are among, but there's feeding involved. You've heard people say this before. I've said it before. You know, I'm just not getting fed. You ever use that term? I'm just not getting fed. We should come to church and expect to be fed. And I'm not talking about Jehovah Java either. We got the coffee bar and we're going to feed people. Okay. I'm talking about getting fed spiritually. Matter of fact, at the end of John, look at verse 63. Watch what it says. He kind of qualifies the whole thing. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, watch, they are spirit and they are life. You get John chapter 6. This Roman Catholic counterfeit, this Lutheran counterfeit, or any outfit that wants to do this false miracle it's a counterfeit miracle in john chapter number two you know what jesus did when he performed the miracle the elements actually changed into something different that false miracle that they perform on the altar of sacrifice of the mass those elements stay the same that wafer is that wafer that grape juice is that grape juice john Two, when Jesus performed that miracle, that water didn't stay water. <laughs> it was a true miracle. That wafer never changed substance. When Jesus performed the miracle, the substance changed into something else. You, are, you and I are going to receive the Lord Jesus Christ one time spiritually. You will not receive him again next Sunday and again the following Sunday. It'll be one time, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. One time. You'll never need to receive him physically. And you certainly won't have to do it over and over again. Acts 7 says, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. I'm telling you, Christ does not dwell. In a Roman Catholic tabernacle made with hands. When you hear me say, I think I qualify this when I say it, but I might not always qualify it. And if you've been brought up as Roman Catholic, it might make you feel eee inside. Come to the altar. If you hear, you know, someone someone makes an altar call. Hey, you can come to the altar and you say that to a Roman Catholic. You know what they're thinking? What is that? Because the altar in a Roman Catholic church is where Christ is sacrificed 
Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And it is a blasphemous thing. You have somebody that came in from the Roman Catholic Church and sits here and they hear me say, hey, come to the altar. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. Am I going back to, you got to qualify some things sometimes. That's why sometimes I'll say, hey, you can come to the altar of prayer. We can pray up here. So I'll say, hey, you can come pray at the prayer benches. You got to be careful of our terminology so as not to offend someone. Because we are not, there's a one-time sacrifice. We've got to be really firm on that doctrine so as not to confuse anyone. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 11 and we'll, we'll wrap it up. First Corinthians 11. Verse 24, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, after the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. Which you don't show the Lord's death till he comes in a Roman Catholic or Lutheran church because he's come. If what they believe is true, he's there. How are you going to obey this verse if you believe that it's transubstantiated? Because if that's true and that wafer really is Jesus, he's there. How are you going to remember it till he come? He came. You somehow performed a miracle and you took Jesus out of heaven, brought him down. And you want me to read you do show the Lord's death till he come? Well, apparently you had the power to make him come. It's blasphemous. And it doesn't fit any of the verses in the scriptures. Why do we got to remember that if Jesus is here present with us? His presence is abiding in us because he gave us the indwelt Holy Spirit. His body is not turned physically from a wafer into something that we eat to receive graces. It's a blasphemous, damning doctrine. And when the Bible says in verse number 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, you are drinking damnation and you are eating damnation to yourself if you believe in transubstantiation because you are not discerning the Lord's body it was prophetic as much as it was anything else you didn't think the Lord knew all this kind of voodoo stuff would be going on in the name of Christianity it's Christian witchcraft it really is. There are no magic words that I can say to make you spiritual. There is nothing I can give you. No bead to flip. No mass card. No wafer. No wine. There's nothing I can give you that would make you worthy and give you eternal life. The only thing I can say is receive the bread of life. Eat the words of Jesus. And I don't mean start gnawing on pages of the Bible. You know what I mean. You must believe in who he is, what he did, where he is at, how he was born, and how he bore your sins on that cross at Calvary. You're not discerning the Lord's body. If you think your worth comes from doing what a priest says or a preacher says. I'll leave you with this. One of the gravest spiritual crimes in the Roman Catholic Church is the desecration of the Eucharistic host, that wafer. If you desecrate that host, you're in trouble. 
you will be excommunicated from the church, which means you're on your way to hell. Because anyone that's excommunicated, anyone that is considered an anathema, has no place in heaven. It's a sacred host. It's a consecrated host, they call it. And it's absolutely forbidden to desecrate that host. You put it in your pocket. Excommunication. You take it in your hand and you take it out of the church and they catch you. Just thank God it's 2022 because it was back in 300, 400 or 500 AD. You'd probably die for it. But now you would just be excommunicated if you got caught. It, it's a grave, grave, sacrilegious crime to desecrate that host. Which is ironic because the whole idea of this passage of 1 Corinthians 11 is about discerning the Lord's body. And the Lord's body is us. And caring about us coming together, remembering what the worthy lamb did. And Roman Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, they flip that and they make it the worth is in that element. And it's completely, completely flipped. The second most severest crime sacrilegious crime is if you have a gluten-free wafer <laughs> you, you, you're not allowed to have that um, that is against the rules which I say to that I mean if the priest can say magic words and turn it in Jesus into the literal body of that wafer what does it matter if it has gluten or not is the priest's words not powerful enough I mean if it's Jesus coming down I think he can handle some gluten but look or, or gluten or not gluten. Look, it's a it's a blasphemous doctrine, and they are not discerning the Lord's doctrine. God help us! I want you to know why they believe the way they believe, and now you have some Bible to back it up. So if you ever run into a Roman Catholic or a Lutheran, you can go to John chapter six, and you can have the discussion, a respectful discussion with. Them.